Welcome back, Grace and Peace. Uh, it is. We are glad to have you uh, back with us. Uh, thanks for hanging in there with our technical difficulties. At least you know that we are completely live and live streaming, uh, but you're hanging in there with us, that we are together in this. Uh, if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word from Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Let us pray. Almighty God, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive your word, that we would be transformed. Pray that your word would speak to our situation uh, right where we are. And I pray, Lord, that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you, my Lord and my God. Amen. You may be seated. If you haven't already, please like and follow us on Facebook. I am live every morning at 7 a.m. to do a morning devotional through the Psalms right now. And then at 10 a.m., parents get a little break. I read ridiculous uh, books that I have in our children's library, which seems endless. So far, we've read almost 30 books together, and it's about two or three each day, and so we do that Monday through Friday, and then in the evenings at 6.30 in the evening, I have a children's devotional, a kid's devotional, where we read from the Jesus Storybook Bible, we do some catechism, and catechism is important for the children to learn the basic language of the faith, which will frame their understanding of the world, and so that's why that's important. And so those are some of the things you could do. Follow us Monday through Friday on those on uh, Facebook and find us live there on our Facebook page. But we are continuing in the book of Genesis, and the reason why we are continuing in our series in Genesis is because we believe that God's Word, no matter where it is, can speak to anyone in their situation, and it speaks to God's people in this situation now, even in the time of coronavirus. And so the understanding of this is titled, Blessed to be a Blessing. But I had a daily school ritual of elementary football. At 10 o'clock, the recess bell would ring. I would scarf down a miniature bag of Flaming Hot Cheetos, and I would race with my friends to the field. We would line up where two predetermined captains, who were usually the best players, would choose their team. It was up to each team's captain to decide how it was going to happen. They were the ones responsible and the responsible agents for how this team would go. And their, their victory was, was going to be uh, through the conduit of this team that they put together. And the initiator of this team it was, was the captain. We were just blessed to, be part, to be, have been chosen. You get chosen first or second on your team. You're like, yes, I am awesome. And here in our, in our chapter here, we see that Abram is being chosen by God. And it is, there is something about that. To be wanted regardless of your performance, which is 
amazing. Now, Abram, it, this is why it's amazing, is because Abram is the son of Terah, who lives in Ur of the Chaldeans, which would have made him probably, if you look at the name Terah, has to do with moon worship. So Abram was a moon-worshipping pagan, and God chooses him. So therefore, you could look at your life and we're like, well, at least I'm not a moon-worshipping pagan, and so there's got to be some hope for me, right? And so he was picked and chosen by God to bring blessing to the world. Abram was to be a conduit through which God would save and redeem his people and redeem the world. The intro to this is kind of found in chapter 11, verses 27 through the end there. Terah, the father of Abram, gives us focus on who we're talking about. And God's purpose to save the world through this one. So it has a universal scope, but the story then narrows on this one person, Abram. And it becomes a hinge between chapters 1 and 11, which is typically understood as, as a primeval history. And then the next few chapters from 12 to 50, which is known as patriarchal history, following the patriarchs, these uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then how they became a country of Israel. And so we see that Abram is a man chosen. He is blessed in order to bless. So chosen, blessed, to bless. So it was, oh, whenever we see that he was chosen, who was the acting agent? If you look and you see that there are five times where God says, I will, I will. And it is matched up with these five times where it says blessed or blessing is mentioned. So the focus is God will bless is the focus of this dialogue to get to the people. So the determining actor and the determining factor in the salvation of the world is a sovereign initiation of the Lord. It is not based on our moral performance or how good Abram was. Remember, he is a pagan. He's worshiping the moon. And well, this ought to be uh, really helpful for us today or because uh, during this time of coronavirus, the number one call that came into the non-emergency lines recently was, uh, and it actually tied up and broke the system, was people ratting out their neighbors because they did not believe that they were practicing social distancing and they were violating the stay-at-home policy, which illustrates what? That we're really concerned about the law? No! It just shows that we're a bunch of moralists at the end of the day. That deep down, the default mode of every one of our heart is that we think that we are approved or better or more approvable by the fact that we can keep the law and stay at home and eat my ramen noodles and watch endless episodes of The Office. And we think we're better for it. And when we see our neighbor getting out, we're like, oh, those dirty little... But here's the deal. If you're chosen, as Abram was, how in the world, and if it's based on the sovereign initiation of the Lord, how in the world are you able to actually look down your nose at anybody else? Be self-righteous. Call out anybody else. If the initiation, the fact that you're chosen by God, then it frees you up to actually be gracious to other people. And this is the backbone of Christian theology. It is the fact that you've been chosen by God. That he's the one who initiated. He's done the work of your salvation. You haven't even lifted a finger to do it. 
It's a lot like marriage. Uh, I was able to conduct, a, to officiate a marriage recently. Each partner chooses the other, and in the choosing, they obligate themselves to each other. They do it for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, until death parts them. Doing this enables them to overlook the shortcomings of each other. It is love that cover, cover, uh, covers over a multitude of sins. But here, God is the only one doing the choosing, the only person that is uh, putting his own life on the line. It is God himself, and it will be illustrated and demonstrated over and over again in the life of Abraham. So he obligates himself to Abraham. And therefore the blessings come, not because Abram has earned them, but by grace through faith. It is by grace because it is determined by God, and not by the performance of Abraham as if God owed him. So God chooses Abram out of and into a new relationship. So out of previous relationships and into new relationships. So first, out of. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 says this about Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed, and when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as is in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundation, whose designer and builder is God. So it is by faith, Abram looks to God's sovereign initiation, his sovereign work, to establish that which God has promised. It wasn't Abram was forcing God to do whatever. So there's a good reason to believe that, that um, God is calling him out of these previous situations and what is the situations that he is dealing with. Notice that it said, the Lord says, Go from your country, so from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land, and so it's into the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so we see that he's called out of a country. And in a country at that time or land would be associated with maybe the religious aspects of the time. Remember we said that he's in Ur of the Chaldeans. He is, he is worshiping and then he moves down to Iran and then he leaves from there. And then we see... Uh, that there's also political arrangements, political safeties that he has from the bonds that are there. So Abram's being called out of the familiar religious settings, from the ways that he would have worshipped before, from the ways that he would have done things. And so there's this move for him to be a different person, to be separate, but kind of live amongst. Then there's this idea that he is called out of, away from his kindred, so it would have been the safety of his culture. He was called to be in the unfamiliar places, to go and do a different thing, to produce or create another culture, to become a citizen of another nation almost. And then it says, from your father's house. Your father's house would have been the safety net financially and everything that the father had, had won and done anyway. And it would have been given to Abram as the inheritor. So he has the inheritance. He's got things. He's got possessions. He's got a name for himself if he would just stay. But the Lord says, no, you need to get out of that. And think about so much, especially in coronavirus, that is making our, our eyes open to the way we live. 
Uh, think about all the consumerism that we have. Maybe God is calling us out of this consumeristic lifestyle where everything is at the ease of a push of a button and we can get it in two days, where we always want the best polished things, where what we want is not a worship service that worships God, but oftentimes what we want is a worship service that resembles what goes on in uh, a rock concert or a TED Talk. I'm, not, I'm never going to be able to give you a TED Talk, but what I can give you is the Word of God. And so, you're called out of this country, this kindred, this way of doing and being that at times is against what God's wishes are and into what God says is a he will make of you a new nation. So you are a new citizen. You're called to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And therefore today we won't fit politically in either po political party. We can't really find our way in there. I'm not saying that you can't be a Republican or Democrat or anything like that. But what I'm saying is, is that you won't find your home there. You won't find your home. You'll find yourself to be too progressive to be considered conservative, and at times too conservative to be a progressive is what you'll end up finding. The next thing is he says that he will bless them. He will bless Abraham. And so that the inheritance or the progeny that he will make a new family for them and if you're a Christian you come into a new family that the riches you have may not be in your pocket but is shared amongst a group of people so your resources time talent and energy is not just your own but belongs to a group of people and you are in God's family and then he says to Abram, Abraham that he will give him a name. He will make his name great. And so this community, this family of God, the resources are for God's glory and are pooled for his people so that they can live on mission and make God known in the world. And so what, is, what does this matter to any of us? Well, know that you're chosen in Christ. You're chosen in Christ. Uh, we see this in Ephesians 1 where it says that we were blessed in him and therefore it is a killer of moralism. A killer of moralism. And so if you feel yourself looking down your nose at these other people, remember this. If God chose you, if it wasn't up to you, if it wasn't up to how religious you are or how successful you are, or how good of a parent you are, or of how well you keep your pantry stocked, or if, you know how well you conduct yourself at the grocery store, if none of those is the reason why God accepts you or chooses you, he chooses you because he loves you, as it says in Deuteronomy 7. It says, not because you were many, but you were few. It's not because you were great, because you were weak. I love you because I love you, is, is what God is saying in Deuteronomy 7 through Moses. God loves you because he loves you. He chose you. And that's important, because if that is the backbone of your theology, then it allows you to be, you freely uh, treat people with, with grace and kindness. You won't be irked every time that your child does something incompetent in the home, and I'm sure you're seeing a hundred times a day how incompetent a little child can be. But if you're accepted by grace, you can accept your child by grace. You can accept your co-workers by grace. And that becomes a killer of moralism. 
you know and so then we also live according to a new reality and so it doesn't allow us to ignore the difficulties of life no you see the difficulties of life but you have a pervading truth something that prevails even beyond that and that is the truth that God's initiation and determination to bless the world doesn't depend on your performance and if the performance isn't on you but if it's all, all on God then in the end what really matters isn't how well I do at these things and so it allows you to sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs while the world seems to be crumbling it allows you to open your window and be free you're allowed to give hope to people even though everything in the world is crumbling not by ignoring the fact that the world is crumbling but it but you are empowered during the time that this world is crumbling in order to see it be given life because you know the way the story ends and so it's the reality that God is going to bring fullness and blessing into the world. Next, we see that Abram, he is blessed. Bless you, or, or we'll say something like, oh, bless his heart, which is really just a curse anyways, like... Bless his heart, he's such an idiot. That's, that's what it basically means. Uh, the word blessed here means fullness of happiness, life as it was meant to be. And this comes from the presence of God. Notice that this blessing is, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And God says, I am bringing myself to you. I will be your God, and you will be my people, Abraham. This is the way it's going to go. And this comes from the presence of God, like I said. It allows the one in whom is in his presence to have a mirth, an unextinguishable joy. It can't be taken away from you. The presence of God is in your life regardless of your performance of it. So true blessing comes from not from having stuff, but from the one who has you. We are always in the arms of whatever we believe that will make us most happy. You believe that riches and fame will make you most happy. When you don't have it, you'll fret. You think having employment will, will make you the most happy. A lot of us are shaking in our boots today. It's not to ignore the fact that unemployment is scary, but the reality is, is God's presence is still with you, and that becomes a pervading truth. And so you are blessed. The blessing that Abraham got was the presence of God himself. And so God will commit himself to Abram so that he will be a conduit of blessing for God. And this goes for God's people today, the church. It says in Ephesians 1 that, we, that God blessed us in Christ. In Colossians 2, it says that we are baptized into his baptism, into his uh, into into uh, into Christ Himself. Acts two, uh, Peter in his declaration says, "And this promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off." Meaning that you are included in the promises of Abraham, and it is echoed in that because Jesus is the actual seed of blessing. When He says that, um, uh, "I will bless you and make your name great, and that, so that you will be a blessing," that He's going to uh, give him a great nation means that he is going to have children. It is his seed that will be blessed. And it's singular. And the one seed that we see 
is the person, Jesus Christ. But the blessing does not exclude hardship, suffering, sin. In fact, in the presence of God and his blessing uh, is what enables us to keep going in the middle of hardship, suffering, and sin. You see, it enabled Abram to transverse the land with several enemies. Abram and the promise will be threatened by an Egyptian king. Abram and Sarah will, will try to assist God and faithfully, uh, faithlessly sin against God by having a child with Hagar, the maidservant. But none of this, it does not, it, it, God, having God's blessing does not exclude hardship. Hardship and blessing can happen at the same time. It just means that one is more powerful than the other, and it will enable you to look at hardship in a different way and to have a prevailing reality or vision during that time. God's blessing in your life will allow you to weather the difficult, the hard, the sad, the unplanned for. God's presence and blessing in your life will do that. It's a lot like having a ballast in a boat. A ballast is uh, a weight or a big beam that sometimes is filled with sand in order to allow a boat to sink in a little bit into the waters. Why is this needed? Because when you're on the waters, at times storms come, waves come up, and without a ballast, you're going to be able, you're going to be thrown off course you're going to be knocked over and so this weight allows you to sink into the waters it allows you to lean into life when you have the presence of God with you and he and you are blessed in him in Christ and allows you to lean into the difficulties of life and waves may crash the winds may blow but you are still buoyant you are not sunk in the time of two uh, epidemics in uh, was it uh, second and third century, it ended up killing about a third of the population of the Roman Empire. Uh, the Christian message uh, it was was said to have, uh, according to um, what's his name, uh, Rodney Stark says this: the Christian message of redemption through sacrifice offered a more satisfactory explanation of why bad things happen to innocent people. Further, the tighter social cohesion and mutual help made them able to better cope with the disasters, leaving them with fewer casualties than the general population. This would also be attractive to outsiders who would want to convert. Lastly, the epidemics left many non-Christians with a reduced number of interpersonal bonds, making the forming of new ones both necessary and easier. It was the bonding and the relating of a blessed people that enabled them to bless others and to be in the lives of others. And it was attractive. Martin Luther, when asked about the Christian response to the bubonic plague, says basically that Christians are to die at their post, turning duties into crosses, because we know that Christ turned death into a doorway to glory. Christ turned death into a doorway to glory. So in the end, no virus, no disease could ever really touch the people. The blessing was the prevailing truth for the people and enabled them to withstand these terrible epidemics, terrible plagues, allowed us not to huddle in isolation, but actually enabled Christians 
to care for one another, to provide for one another, to call one another, to FaceTime one another, because we're getting lonely. And I know I'm getting weary. I'm getting tired. But many of you have checked up on me. Someone just said, I know you're getting weary. I'm praying for you. And that meant everything to me yesterday. It was important to me. And so we are blessed to bless. And we see this kind of come into focus in the end of verse 2. So that you will be a blessing, which is a very good translation of the Hebrew. It is the purpose clause. Why would God choose Abram? So that you will bless other people. You know, I'm often found trolling a particular group of people. Why? Because I'm an obnoxious jerk. That's why. And people who know me know that I do it on purpose. And we're face to face. I will ask you weird rhetorical questions that I know the answer to in order to get under your skin to make you like double think yourself. Okay? I'm sinful. I'm self-righteous. Yes, I know that. But sometimes I'm doing it to make a point. You know, uh, why? Because people who forget or ignore that they're called for in Christianity is it's just... I think it's terrible. If we forget that we're called to be a blessing, and if we end up becoming a bunch of self-righteous jerks, it just drives people crazy, and it drives me crazy. And so what would, what do I do? I'll ask some group of people that are spouting off lots of theological truths, and that they're hanging out in their own little huddle. You know, I end up saying things like, well, okay, uh, why did God save you? For what did God save you? And the typical answer, of course, because we're a bunch of good Presbyterians and know our Westminster Shorter Catechism, you know, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And then I'm like, all right, Mr. Smarty Pants, and then here comes full-on trolling, right? And I'm like, cool, how do you do that? And it's usually crickets. I don't hear a response back at this time. Why? Because they haven't thought creatively on what does it actually mean to glorify God. Does it mean that, like, I glorify God by reading a bunch of theology books? Yes, that is good. Put your mind and, and bring it to God. Be taken up with thoughts of Him. But it is being taken up with thoughts of Him. We should remember Him who gave His entire life. Who in humility put on humanity to save His enemies. But yet we just want to sit around and debate theology, you know. And so, I, you know, they functionally act as if they're approvable, not because they're chosen by God, but they're approvable because they can get the right theological answer. And that isn't Christianity. That's moralism trapped in a theological blanket. Like, ooh, I could say Herman Bavin quotes. Ooh, I've got it. I'm good. That, what? That's not good for anything. You know, and God doesn't so much have a mission for his church, as Christopher J. Wright says, as God has a church for his mission. You, as being part of God's people, are to live on mission, and we are to think creatively how we are to live on mission today during the time of the coronavirus. You are called to be a conduit of his blessing. If you are living on a street, you are called to be a conduit of his blessing on your street. You're called to be a conduit of blessing in your school. And so God has given you particular gifts, talents, and resources for God's glory in loving your neighbor. And you are not, you are not alone in, 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 in this. God gives gifts to his people, his church, who are called by his name. You're a group of people doing this. 
Abram is the conduit of God's blessing to the world. Through Abram, God would rescue the world. Why? So that he would be a blessing. So we sit there and we're like, ooh, I'm chosen of God. For what? It's to be a blessing. And we see in Ephesians 1 that Jesus is the seed, the chosen one. He lives out the vocation of Israel, and he lives out what was supposed to be true and what would be true of Abraham, Abraham that it is in Jesus Christ that this world would be blessed, that it would be brought to fullness of joy completely in the person of Jesus Christ. Because it is in him that he lost everything. I'm going to quote Rodney Stark again, talking about Christians who had been blessed. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another, heedless of danger. They took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of brothers lost their lives in this manner, and a number of presbyters, that's elders, deacons and laymen, winning height of commendation so that this so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong strength, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. And that's Dionysius and Rodney Stark is quoting him. It is in this being blessed that they transferred life to the dying and death to themselves. And where do we get that from? It is from the one who transferred our death onto himself and gave his life for us. And that is how we are to be a blessing. We're to deny self, give of ourselves, give of our resources, live sacrificially especially in this time. There's reports of, uh, of a priest named Giuseppe Baradelli coming out of Italy. He was offered to have a ventilator as he was dying of the disease. But instead of, of taking the ventilator, he sacrificed and gave it up and, for, and, and left it alone and gave it to, allowed it to be given to another person because, and he took the choice out of the doctor's hands. And he did that. Why? Because he knew that the blessing that he really needed, that the life that he really needed, was something that couldn't possibly be taken from him because he was chosen and it was given to him in Christ. And therefore, he could depart this life serenely happy, knowing that in the end, his disease and death does not mean the end. It isn't the final judgment on his life. And the same with Abram. He could get up and leave. And leave everything he ever knew. And live life a completely different way. Following God. The one who says, I will. The one on whom it determines everything. Trusting him. And knowing. Knowing that he is going to one who's going to make make a way. And so take courage. 
knowing that you were chosen in Christ, the one in whom death couldn't even defeat. So you know that death won't even defeat you because you are blessed in Christ to be a blessing. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we know that Jesus was the one who was truly forsaken, for he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know that we will never be forsaken. So let us now take on this new identity, this new family, this new way of life in Christ, and show that to our neighbors, to our co-workers. I pray that we would have a mirth, a joy that goes deeper than the situation that is around us. Help us to be kind and loving. For those of our brothers and sisters that are feeling the weight of depression and isolation and loneliness, we pray that you would comfort them, and I pray that we would initiate with them. Give us the ability to care for them and love them. Help us to give them the joy and the blessing that we have received and that we may share it together because we all feel, we will all feel the weight of loneliness and depression and isolation. But we know that the ultimate isolation, the ultimate being taken away was felt by Jesus who was taken outside the city and crucified for us. Lord, please be with us. Please help us to remember the joys of Jesus Christ in a dark time and help us to bless others. In Jesus' name, amen.